let's get our hearts ready. Uh, let's invite God into this place. Let's, let's put our hands out, palms up. Let's close our eyes. Uh, just a posture of uh, surrender. Uh, take a deep breath. Uh, remember that God is just as near as that air you are breathing. Uh, God, give us tender hearts uh, to your word this morning. Help us to put away the frustrations of this past week. Help us to uh, put away the distractions from the coming week. Help us to fully focus on you and what you have for us. Uh, we come empty uh, with nothing to offer but surrender. Uh, and uh, today, God, this morning, would you fill us up as only you can. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, all right, we ended last week with Saul. Uh, he was jealous and afraid of David. And he was jealous because the Lord was with David. The Lord used to be with Saul. Uh, he's also afraid of David because everything that David did, it seemed like it turned to gold. Everything was successful for him. Remember, that used to be Saul. Uh, and so Saul, he tries to trick David into going into this suicide mission. Uh, but then David succeeds at the suicide mission, and instead of uh, Saul killing David, uh, Saul actually makes David his son-in-law. Right? So even when Saul has plans to get David killed, it ends up being a blessing to David. All right? We've had two takeaways we've seen over and over throughout this series. Uh, who you listen to matters, and victory comes from God. And Saul, he's trying to make victory happen himself, but it just keeps going to David because the Lord is no longer with him. And Saul does a, did a great job uh, of living in the, these truths out, these takeaways in the beginning. But as time has gone on, he forgot. He got to the top and then he forgot God. How often do we do the same thing? We will do the right thing. We will walk so close to God, but then when we make it to the top, we quit doing the things that got us there. It's like the person who goes uh, on a diet uh, and exercise, they're trying to lose some weight, they, they're trying to hit this target weight, and then they hit their target weight. What happens? The focus is gone. Get a little bit more lax on the diet, a little less consistent on the exercise program. Now, before you realize it, you're right back to where you started, right? You forget the things that it took to get you to the top. God got Saul to the top. God is going to put David to the top. And so as we finish looking at the life of Saul, we're going to see the fall. And it's because Saul has forgotten how he got to the top. And last week we talked about Saul and his daughter Michaela and how she married David, right? That was the, the, the woman that David married because Saul was like, hey, go kill 200, 100 Philistines. And David was like, I'm going to kill 200 just to be safe. And he got married to her. But we haven't mentioned uh, Saul's other child, his son, Jonathan. Uh, and this is the one who is the eldest. This is the one who would take Saul's place as king if things were to go about how they normally would. And I want you guys to hear a little bit about the relationship between Jonathan and David. Uh, in 1 Samuel verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 1, it says this, David met Jonathan, the king's son. There was a meet, an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Can I just paraphrase that? They're bros, right? They're not just bros. They are best bros. They are ride or dies. They are together. They are best friends. More like brothers than just friends. 
And what is incredible is, uh, it's going to be incredibly helpful for David is that uh, he has an ally that is the king's son. He has an ally that has the king's ear. So as we jump back into the story, I want you to know that Jonathan and David are best friends. And Saul, Jonathan's dad, uh, is not so tight with David. Okay? And here's what, it, here's what we hop into in chapter 19 right at the beginning. Saul urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told David what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. Right, so there's, there's a problem. Uh, Saul is going to assassinate David. And, and Jonathan's like, hey, i got to let my bro know. And so he actually tells David he needs to go hide. And then he tries to uh, convince his dad otherwise. He tries to help uh, Saul change his mind to, to not pursue this path. Here's what goes. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He has always helped you out in any way he could. Read that part in yellow out loud with me when we get there. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason to, for it at all. Right? Did, did you catch that? He's, he's saying, hey, don't kill my brother Jonathan, my best friend. He's done nothing to deserve us. Remember, your victory came from the Lord. God used David, and you were certainly happy about it then. Now the question is, how is Saul going to respond to his son telling him that? Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. I want you to take a note. That's verse 6 of chapter 19. This is a perfect glimpse into what we've talked about this whole series uh, we need to listen to the right people and we need to remember God, right? Jonathan asks his father to listen. He reminds him, he says, hey, think about how David has served you over and over again, how God has used him. He's brought, how the Lord has used him to bring great victory to Israel. And now when that happened in that moment, you were so happy for him, but now you're not. Now because of your jealousy, you're planning on killing him. And Saul, he does the right thing. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. Verse 6. They get, they get David, he comes back. Uh, David comes back into his courts. And remember, uh, David had a job in Saul's court. When it says the tormenting spirit came upon Saul, David would come and play his harp and calm him down. Uh, verse 6. David will not be killed. He gets his job back. He plays the heart for him. But one day, verse 9, you're good. But one day when Saul was sitting at home with spear in hand, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon, came upon him again as David played the harp. You guys might guess where this is going. Saul hurled his spear at David, but David dodged out of the way, leaving the spear stuck in the wall. He fled and escaped into the night. Verse 6. I will not let David be killed. Verse 9, 
I'm coming for him, right? He throws it at that kind of man. Saul can't help himself. He did the right thing, right? He listened to his son. He listened to the right people. He remembered, yes, he, God did use him to bring victory to all of, all of Israel. But he can't shake his jealousy. He can't shake his fear. He tries to kill David again. And by the way, he's a terrible shot. Over three with a spear so far. Okay, that's far into the story. And so David, he flees uh, the king's court and he goes to get away from Saul. He goes home to his wife. Remember, his wife is Saul's daughter. And she helps him in the same way that Jonathan did it. And in verse 11, it says, Saul sent troops uh, that watched David's house. They were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. But Michal, David's wife, a.k.a. Saul's daughter, warned him, if you don't escape tonight, you'll be dead by morning. So she helped him climb out through the window, and he fled and escaped. So he's on the run. David's on the run. And he... Uh, he runs from David, the king's court, and he runs to his house, and at his house he escapes through the night, and now he flees to Samuel the prophet. Uh, he flees to the man of God. He's on the run. And so Saul, he catches wind of this, and he sends his men to get David. And, and we're not going to read it today because it's a, kind of a lengthy passage, but as soon as they get there to get David, it says they start prophesying and worshiping God. And so Saul's like, what are they doing? He sends even more men. And it says as soon as they get there uh, to Samuel's place, they start prophesying and worshiping God. So Saul is like, never send somebody else to do a job that needs to be done by the boss. He goes, as soon as he gets there, he starts prophesying and worshiping God. And so Saul's prophesying and worshiping God allows David some time to escape. I just love like how God is working here. He is making people worship him to distract them so that somebody else can get away. Uh, but then again, I said distraction. That's probably not the right word, right? It's really a pull in the right direction. Instead of trying to get what I want, but to actually stop and to worship God, that's probably the right thing. If Saul would just worship God as he had, Saul wouldn't be in this situation. So David, he's fleeing Saul. Saul is prophesying and worshiping. And as he's fleeing, he runs into Jonathan. And David's like, bro, what is going on? I do not understand why he is after me. And here's how this interaction goes. What have I done, David exclaimed. What is my crime? How have I offended your father uh, that he is so determined to kill me? That's not true, Jonathan protested. You're not going to die. He always tells me everything he's going to do, even the little things. I know my father wouldn't hide something like this from me. It just isn't so. So that goes on, and Jonathan tells David, hey, go out again. Uh, I'll go out again, and I'll find my father's intentions. You, you keep away, but when the time comes, I'll give you a sign to tell you that it's safe, or if you need to stay on the run. Some time passes, and, and Saul and Jonathan uh, are return home, and they're eating dinner for uh, a big meal for this festival. And Saul asked Jonathan, which I think this is a ridiculous question, hey, why isn't David in his seat? Maybe because you've thrown a spear at him three times, dude. <laughs> Maybe that's why he's not there. Uh, but Jonathan tells Saul, uh, hey, I let David go and offer some sacrifices to his family in Bethlehem. And uh, Saul, he does not like that answer at all. He does not like that answer at all. And I'm going to quote scripture here. So as I read this, don't think that I'm like saying a bad word or think bad about this pastor. This is straight up God's word, okay? Uh, Saul is going to get very upset with his son. 
Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a whore. He swore at him. Do you think I don't know that you want him to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, he can't even say David's name. He says son of Jesse. As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. He's talking to his eldest. The one that he's trying to save the kingdom for. He insults and curses his own son. And there's one little differentiation I want to point out about this one that, it, that happens from the other times. Every other time we see Saul have this outburst, it says a tormenting spirit came upon him. This is the only time it doesn't say that. There's no mention of a tormenting spirit. Uh, he says some incredibly strong words to his son, and it's his own doing. I believe it's because he has let his jealousy and his fear take over him. He's overtaken by it. He's so filled with hatred and bitterness that he doesn't need the tormenting spirit to come on him. He can do bad all by himself. That's pretty rough. And he isn't even done. He, he continues, verse 32, but why should he be put to death, Jonathan asked his father. What has he done? When you've got a bull in front of you, you don't ask why, all right? It's just going to get worse. The bull is going to get really angry. So Saul, uh, he doesn't hear him this time. Here's what it says in verse 33. Then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, his own son, intending to kill him. So at last Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. He's a terrible shot. Over four so far in the story, okay? He is so mad at his son. The one he's trying to save the kingdom for, that's why he's trying to get rid of David so the kingdom goes on. He's so mad at that son that he tries to kill that son, the one who will be king. Right? He's so mad, he's not even making sense. And it's at this point that Jonathan realizes there is nothing that I can do to stop my father from pursuing David and, and trying to kill him. It's like, really? He's thrown a spirit in three times and you're just now like, hey, I don't think they're going to fix uh, this relationship. He realizes there's nothing that he can do. There's nothing that's going to stop him. And so let's jump back to, to David. Okay? He, remember the last time we saw him, he was fleeing uh, from Samuel the prophets. Everybody came to the prophet's, out, prophet's place and they were worshiping and prophesying God. And so Samuel, I'm sorry, David goes to Ahimelech. Ahimelech, he's just a priest in another town. Okay? And he goes and hides there. And uh, Ahimelech gives David and, and his men, he gives them food. He gives them weapons. He gives them a recharge. Remember, there's no email, there's no text, there's no phones. Ahimelech does not know that David is currently an enemy of the state. And so Saul, King Saul, hears that Ahimelech is helping David. And he is not happy about it. He's not happy about it. Why have you and the son of Jesse, again, he's so mad at David, it's like Voldemort. He cannot even say his name. Why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me, Saul demanded. He's talking to Ahimelech, the priest. Why did you give him food and a sword? Why have you consulted God, why have you consulted God for him? Why have you encouraged him to kill me as he is trying to do this very day? Why would you give him ammo? He's coming for me. I'm the king. Why would you do that? And Ahimelech says, but sir... Is anyone among all your servants, read up there for the guys, 
Is anyone among all your servants as faithful as David, your son-in-law? Remember that part. Why, he is the captain of uh, your bodyguard, a highly honored member of your household. He's like, I thought David was your most faithful servant. He's a member of your family. He's a captain for you. Why would I withhold anything from David? I know nothing about what he's trying to do. Again, we get a perfect glimpse of what we've been talking about for this whole series. Ahimelech reminds Saul of a truth. Right? David's been faithful. He's been nothing but help you. Saul doesn't listen. He hears Ahimelech, but he does not listen. Uh, he's getting furious about what's happening. And in verse 17, here's what Saul says. He ordered his bodyguards, kill these priests of the Lord, for they are allies and conspirators with David. They knew he was running for me, but they didn't tell me. He's so mad. He said, hey, these priests, I need my guys to go kill them. Take them out of here. They're helping the enemy. Here's what it says in the last part. But Saul's men refused to kill the Lord's priests. Can you imagine the panic that is going through uh, Saul's mind right now? He has this guy on the run, uh, and he can't get him. He tells his men to go, hey, kill these guys. These are conspirators. These are people who are trying to up, uh, overthrow my kingdom. And he tells his own men to go kill them, and they refuse. They won't do it. They won't kill them. And so at this point, Saul has no more breadcrumbs to follow. He has no idea where David might be. And so uh, what happens is they return to somewhat of a normal life. And normal life uh, for Israel this time is fighting the Philistines. So uh, the next time we hop in, uh, Saul, he just got through with a battle with the Philistines. He's coming home, and then he gets some breadcrumbs, right? He gets a little bit of information. He says, hey, David might be hiding in this particular wilderness. And so instead of coming home this way, we're going to actually adjust course and come home through this way where we might see David. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. Me and 3,000 of my best men, we're going to find David. We're going to kill him. Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Um, if you're not familiar with this passage before, uh, he's dropping the Browns off at the Super Bowl. Um, he's using, this is a, a first century right, porta potty. I don't know, like, he's going to the bathroom. That's what it's saying right there. He went to relieve himself. That's what Saul is doing. He needs some privacy. He goes to the back of the cave. The same cave he went into. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. Saul goes to take care of business. We're going to talk about a vulnerable moment, okay. He's there in this cave, and it's the same cave that David and all of his mighty men are in. The same exact one. We're going to talk about getting a silver platter with your, your quote, enemy laying on it. And here's what David's men tell him, his mighty men. Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power do with, to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. 
David. He's like, I can't kill Saul, but I can cut off a little piece of his robe just to let him know that I was here. And actually, even that doesn't sit well with him. Then David's conscience began bothering him because he he cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. Remember, what's David say? The Lord forbid that I should do this to my king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one. Remember, Saul was anointed just like David was anointed. For the Lord himself has chosen him. The Lord himself has chosen Saul. That happened in week one. So David restrained his men and they did not kill Saul. After Saul left the cave and had gone on his way, something happens, right? They come out and they see him. He doesn't kill Saul because Saul was the one that God anointed. And once Saul is out of the cave, they tell him. David came out and shouted, my Lord the king. And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. He thinks this guy's trying to kill him. He he bows low. He could have killed him. He, He didn't. Then he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? What are we talking about? Who you listen to matters. You have to listen to the right people. Why do you listen to people who say I am trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it, it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in that cave. Some of my men told me to kill you. He's listening to these people. They told me to kill you. But I spared you, for I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Say that part in the yellow with me when we get there. When David had finished speaking, Saul called back, Is that really you, my son David? Then he began to cry. Then he began to cry. David tells Saul, I could have killed you and no one would have batted an eye. They would have even said the Lord delivered him to you. But David remembers what Saul seems to have forgot. Victory comes from God. Comes from God. And and Saul, as he hears this, he began to cry. Can you imagine how like sincere and genuine those tears would be? There is a man you are actively trying to kill. Like you literally went out of your way with 3,000 of your best men so you could kill him. And he easily could have killed you. And he yields because you, Saul, are God's anointed. Your life has literally been saved by the one you are hunting. Imagine that. Imagine those tears. He's like, I could have killed this guy. could have killed me. I've been trying to. The only reason I'm here is I'm trying to kill him. And... Uh, He said to David, you're a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. You have been amazingly kind to me today. When the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize that you surely are going to be king and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. Now swear to me by the Lord that When that happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. He's like, hey, I'm sorry. I'm going to call it off. That's what Saul said. God is clearly with you. He says, just promise me that you won't kill my family when you become king. 
So it says, David promised this to Saul with an oath. Then Saul went home and David and his men went back to their stronghold. This is, a, I believe, a genuine moment for Saul. Where he quits searching for David and he accepts that David is truly God's anointed. And if the story ended there, it might have a little bit of a redemptive arc uh, for Saul. He leaves David. He, he lets him be. And Saul does leave David alone for a while. Once again, he heads home from battle, a battle with the Philistines. He catches word that David might be in this particular area. He takes 3,000 of his best men, pass through that area to look for David. Saul doesn't learn to check the corners. He goes into a cave to relieve himself again. And again, he picks the cave that David and his men are in. You want to talk about an unholy lottery that he hit there. He found the same cave twice. And again, David spares his life. David again tells Saul, I could have killed you, but why? Why are you listening to the scoundrels who say I'm trying to kill you? I could have done it twice. I'm not going to. Why would you do that? Saul, again, he repents and he leaves David alone. Why does Saul keep going back to his evil ways? Why does Saul keep returning to his foolishness, returning to his sin? Uh, and, and there's a lot of things you could take away there, but it's because he's surrounded himself with the wrong people. He's listening to the wrong voices. He thinks his victory comes from his power. He, he does the right thing, and then he does the wrong thing, and then he repents, and then he tries to do the right thing, but then he keeps going back and doing the wrong thing. It reminds me of this verse uh, in Proverbs um, where we just keep going back and doing the wrong thing. It says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. He throws a spear. Then he apologizes. I promise I won't kill David. Then he does it again. David spares his life. He says, I'll quit hunting you. He does it again. I believe that we are just like Saul. In each of those moments, Saul has a change of heart. And he listens to the right people. He listens to people who are speaking not what he wants to hear. He's listening to people who are speaking the truth. Every time he repents, he hears someone who's speaking the truth. But then, when he leaves, he starts listening to the scoundrels, the people who are speaking lies. And church, it is virtually impossible to do what is right when you're surrounded yourself with people who are doing wrong. You've got to surround yourself with the right people. So he uh, leaves David alone again. And uh, after this, Saul, he's getting ready for a battle with uh, the Philistines yet again. But he's nervous about it. So he wants some insight into the battle. And normally, uh, Saul would have gone to a prophet. He would have gone to Samuel. He did that a lot. But at this point, Samuel has passed away. So Saul has to go to a medium. I say has to. He chooses to go to a medium. He goes to a lady who says she can consult with the spirits who have passed. He's a, he's a little desperate. Saul is. Uh, here's the kicker. He has to go to a remote place, this distant village, because early in his reign as the king, he banished all the mediums, all the people who said they could consult with the dead spirits. He says, we don't want you in here. We got the Lord, we got the prophets. And when he goes to talk to her, he has to wear a disguise so that she doesn't know it's him. Because if she sees it's Saul, she's like, that's the guy who kicked me out. I'm not telling him anything. If I do something, he's going to try to kill me. He goes in and he asks her. He asks her, um, and she asks him, rather, who do you want me to call upon? 
Who's, whose spirit do you want me to consult? And Saul says, I want you to talk to the spirit of the prophet Samuel. Saul wants to connect with Samuel so he can hear from God through Samuel like he's done before. And uh, it, it doesn't go well for Saul. Uh, and she doesn't get this from Samuel, but she basically says, hey, uh, this ain't going to go the way you think it's going to go. She does not make Saul feel at ease about the battle he's about to go into. And I think there's a lesson there. You can't use unholy means to connect with the holy God. You cannot use unholy means to connect with the holy God. Saul desperately wants to connect with God. He wants to know what's going to happen. But he's surrounded himself with people who just propagate lies. He's trying to get to God his own way. He doesn't turn and repent. Say, God, forgive me of my sins. So Saul, he goes into battle and uh, he's defeated. Saul, along with his three sons, die in the battle. And that befall King Saul. Now David, he's... Uh, in line to be the next king. You'd think that when he hears this, he's going to be joyful. He's going to be excited. Saul's gone. He's not hunting me anymore. He's not coming for me. David is actually so filled with grief about Saul, about Jonathan, uh, that he writes a whole song of sorrow. Not only does he write a whole song of sorrow, he makes the, the king's men memorize it and sing it. He is filled with sorrow because not because Saul had it all together, not because Saul was a good guy, especially not to David. He's filled with grief because the king's anointed has died. The man that God chose for the job. Even if it was first season, he's gone. I want to I zoom out and look at what we've, we've covered today. Uh, Saul, he tried to kill David many, many times and he never succeeds. Saul, the king of Israel with all the resources imaginable and he can't get this task done. David, a, a man who comes from a family with no real value, no real significance. Uh, he needs help from all kinds of people to just, not to become king, to survive, to live. He gets help from Saul's son, from Saul's daughter. He gets help from a prophet. He gets help, he gets help from a priest. All these people that on paper should help the king before they help him. And yet, all of them help David. David doesn't have the resources or the experiences that Saul has. And yet, he's still going strong. Saul was never able to get him. We step back a little further and look at the, the rise of King Saul. Remember, it started, Saul was dad's errand boy. He was out looking for dad's donkeys when he got anointed. And then when he's crowned king, he's so humbled, he's so worried about the crown that he literally goes and hides from the calling that God has for him. He went from being humbled about the throne to trying to kill others, to kill his own son so it would stay in his family. How, how does Saul get from this point, incredibly humble, to killing people so it stays with his line? He surrounded himself with the wrong people the scoundrels. He forgot his, his victory comes from God. If we look at the beginning of Saul's life and compare it with the end, uh, it reminds me of that line from uh, Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. 
Saul started this journey as this very uh, unlikely, very lovable hero. And as the story progresses, you see him move towards this villainous role. Saul's purpose had changed. At the beginning, his purpose was, hey, I'm going to obey God, I'm going to honor God. And at the end, it's him protecting the crown. When you position your life away from God, it doesn't matter if you're the king. Without God, there is no purpose. There's no purpose without God. And all of us, everybody, myself, we all have things we reach to to find purpose. And any purpose void of God is meaningless. It's fleeting. It's passing away. But when our purpose is filled with God, even the smallest things become saturated with purpose because God is in it. Uh, the Little League basketball team I'm coaching, uh, we played in the championship game last week. Uh, now, hey, I'm a competitive, I like to win, but when I'm coaching these kids, uh, like, I promise you, this is like my thing that I say over and over and over again. There's two things you can control, and when I say what are the two things you can control, I will get like emphatic, attitude and effort, mantra the whole season, right? Because here's the deal, if you have a good attitude, you give your best effort, you don't have to sulk and think, what if, if you lose, right? If you do those two things, you don't have to worry about losing. Like, it might happen, but you know you gave it all. You did your best. So in the, in the championship game uh, last week, uh, we get down. Uh, the first half uh, ends 8-1. Halftime speech. What am I going to do? I'm going to change the message. How am I going to rally the troops? Guys, what are the two things we can control? A little less uh, enthusiastic attitude and effort. Yeah, how we do, right? Not the best effort, subpar attitude. Hey, forget about the first half. Forget it. Can't change anything that happened in the first half, but we can change the second half. You guys go out there with a great attitude and you give your best effort, we can still win this thing. We don't win by watching the scoreboard and getting upset. Get in the game. Y'all, we got the lead late in the fourth and we won that sucker 11 to 10. All right, most, hey, I need y'all to clap for other stuff. You clapping, clapping for Little League, I need you to clap for Jesus too, okay? Sorry, I had to get there. Hey, most stressful game of my life. Uh, the, uh, I gotta show you guys this. The most stressful game of my life. They had us in the first half. I'm not gonna lie. They had us. But what did we do? Uh, in, the, in the first half, most of the team, we forgot what got us to this point in the season. What got us to being in a game where we have a chance to win it all? A great attitude, maximum effort. That halftime prep talk wasn't anything new. It was remember. Remember, remember, remember what you already know. You already knew that. They already knew I was going to say attitude and effort. Maybe today is your halftime. Maybe you need to circle back. Remember a few things. Maybe you were walking with God, but right now you're, you're not. Things aren't exactly going your way. You're feeling a little down. You're feeling a little discouraged. Can I just encourage you? Remember. Remember, your victory comes from the Lord. God has got this. I don't, know, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I do know that God is bigger than any problems you face. He's bigger than any problems that you face. Uh, there's a verse in Psalms 121, it says this in verse 1 and 2. I look up to the mountains, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Can you guess who wrote that psalm? It was David. David knew his help, his victory wasn't from himself. His victory came from God. David remembered what Saul forgot. How 
often do we do the same? We get busy trying to strive and achieve. We forget that our help comes from God, the maker of heaven and earth. So today, if it's your halftime, you're feeling down, a little beat up, remember, your victory comes from God. That's not new information. We talked about that for the last four weeks. But you have to remember, David knew his victory wasn't in himself. His victory came from God. He remembered what Saul forgot. We have to remember it. When you get to the top, don't forget God. Remember what got you there, what got you to the top. It wasn't ourself, it was God. Don't just hear me on this. Would you, would you listen to it? Would you receive this? God's not done giving you victory. I truly believe he has more for you. If you'll remember, it's all from 